You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. We'll read from the beginning. We're going to just look at a few verses in this. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through Him all men might believe. He Himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light." The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. John the Baptist had a kind of unique ministry, didn't he? He was, uh, he ate locusts, he ate wild honey, he, he dressed in a unique way, and he had a horrible death. He was beheaded after upsetting a king because he was a bit blunt and at the request of a dancing girl or at least her mother, he ended up uh, literally losing his head. And yet, this gospel of John points to John as someone who points to Christ. At Christmas, we think about the shepherds and we think about the wise men. But I wanted to think about uh, John the Baptist and who he pointed to. And the other John, John the disciple, who wrote this book, in writing about John the Baptist and in writing about Jesus, he comes up with this just incredible, incredible statement of who Jesus is. And that is the extraordinary thing about Christmas, the most amazing thing about Christmas, the thing that that should blow your mind, that should move your heart, is just who this particular baby is that whose birth we celebrate at this time of year was and is. So, I want to begin by just, and for those of you who are incredibly deep theologians, don't be too disappointed. We don't have time to go into all the detail of this, but there's so much in this. But I want to begin just by asking, what's the Word? We're going to look at what the Word is. We're going to look at what it means that the Word came in, in flesh and how that applies to us. Well, the Word is, this is obviously Jesus, it's speaking about Jesus. But it's interesting that John uses this particular phrase because all language has context. And this idea of the Word is not something that uh, John just brought in. It comes from at least two different sources. First of all, the term the Word, the Logos, is used in Greek literature The Stoics, Stoic philosophers, Greek philosophers regarded it as the principle of divine reason which caused the natural creation to grow. Philo of Alexandria spoke of it as the instrument through which the word, the world, was created. So the Greeks had this idea, and it's an idea that that still exists in our culture. It's an idea, for example, that Einstein, who wasn't a believer in God, but nonetheless, he couldn't accept an atheist view, 
and he couldn't accept the view that the worlds and the universe just came into being, and that was just it. Einstein believed there must be something, some principle, some mega intelligence behind it all. And that's very similar to the Greek idea of the Word. And John and others would, would have been fully aware of that. These Gospels were written in Greek. They would know exactly what they were doing when they used that language. And what they were doing is they were taking this idea and they were saying, well, we know who the real Word is. And it's this baby who lay in a manger because there's some great differences between the way that the Bible uses the idea of the Word and the way that the Greek philosophers did. For example, Philo never ever spoke of the Word as being as existing before the world began. But here John does. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. When we remember Jesus being born in the manger, it's a big mistake that people go, well, it's there to show us how cute babies are, or it's there to show us just how lovely and wonderful human life is. This is an astonishing statement that the one who created everything was himself born as a baby. Philo never also spoke of the incarnation of the Word, the Word becoming flesh. In fact, to the Greek philosophers, the notion of the greater reason and the greater spiritual principle becoming uh, flesh, they, they somehow regarded flesh as being uh, lesser. And we'll see what that means uh, in a moment, but John does. He says the Word became flesh. The Greek language, I think, provided the terminology but the ideas came from elsewhere. And in particular, Old Testament Jewish thought, the wisdom literature, Proverbs, for example, chapter 8, where the creation is des described to the law. But I think what we've got here is something beyond that, beyond the Jewish idea, beyond the Greek idea. It is specifically Christian and that's what I, I want to focus on. Jesus, first and, and foremost here, He is described as divine. The Word is life. The Word is light. He comes that we might have life. He comes that we might have light. In the physical world, life is dependent upon light. And it's likewise in the spiritual world. How do we know? How do we grow? How do we understand? How do we come close to God? If our hearts were made for God and they are restless until they find their rest in Him, as Augustine says, how can we possibly know who God is? And again, in our culture, what so many people do is they just give up. They say, how can we know God? There's all these different religions. How can we possibly know? Well, maybe the way we could know is if God showed us. And maybe the best way for God to show us was for Himself to come as a human being. There's an extraordinary teaching in all of this, because here, as much as anywhere in the Bible, probably more than anywhere, I think, 
the Trinity is being taught. The Word was with God, the Word was God. The Son, the Word became flesh. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only begotten who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The relationship between the Father and the Son. We know that God is love, but how can God be love if there is nothing to love? Before everything was created, how can we know that? Well, I think the answer in the Bible is an amazing answer. It's saying that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And love is of the essence in the Trinity because the fact that they are together, the fact that they are from all eternity. I think that the love of God and the existence of the Sonship of Jesus Christ and the fatherhood of God and the Holy Spirit is really quite extraordinary. John Flavel, a Puritan writer, puts it in his Puritan way, but I, think, I thought this was just lovely. He says this, what is a child but a piece of the parent wrapped up in another skin? There's one there. <laughs> a piece of the parent wrapped up in another skin. And yet, our dearest children are but as strangers to us in comparison of the unspeakable dearness that was between the Father and the Christ. What John is teaching us about Jesus is that the dearest relationship you and I have, and we have this idea, I think many of us have this idea of God as remote, of God as cold, but here we're being taught of a relationship that is the very essence of love itself. And Flavel goes on to say this, now that he should ever be content to part with a son and such an only one is such a manifestation of love as will be admired to all eternity. God so loved that He gave His only begotten Son. And I think for those of us who are Christians, we just take it so much for granted. It's like a child, isn't it? If you've got a child at Christmas and um, they're used to getting Christmas presents. They're used to getting big Christmas presents. They kind of lose the sense of wonder, and they may even get something and go, yeah, thanks. Is there not, not anything more? We just lose that sense of wonder. There's this lovely wee YouTube video of this guy who's playing a prank on his kids, and they're, they're tiny kids, you know, like four years old and two years old, and he says, you're going to get early Christmas presents, and he wraps up a banana and an onion and he's trying to teach them a lesson. Instead, he got taught a lesson because the video shows the kids opening up. Oh, look, I got a banana. That's great. And they want to go, I got an onion. I think it's great. I got an onion. And the, the, the father realizes his, his uh, prank has kind of backfired because he was wanting to teach them to be grateful, but they were inherently grateful for what they got. It's later on, as you get older, you learn to be more selfish. And I think some of us, have, as Christians, we've grown a bit cold because we've lost the absolute sense of wonder of what God has actually done. It's so easy to talk about, you know, the miracle of Christmas or to talk about the wonder of the child. But it really is incredibly extraordinary to think that God gave His Son. I I find 
the resurrection easier to believe than the incarnation in some ways. Uh, For me, the resurrection proves what is said here at the beginning of the gospel. God raising someone from the dead, God raising His own Son from the dead. But the idea that God came in human form in this way, not one of the gods, not the ancient Greek gods, not the myths that people put round, but the reality of the creator of the whole universe, the one through whom all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. The one who is life, the one who is light, and all of that comes, and if you like, is it condensed in this tiny baby. It is extraordinary. God became flesh. And that's the second thing I want us to look at. He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. In other words, nobody knew Jesus was God. They didn't go, oh, wow, here's God. Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And in this kind of linking passage, what John is saying, and it's the purpose of his gospel, is he's saying, it's through this baby that is born that you get to become, it's through this child that you get to become a child of God. Because right now, if you do not know Jesus and you do not trust Jesus, you are not a child of God except in a very, very general sense as being created by, but you are not a child of God in the sense of being adopted by, in a sense of being in His family. And Jesus came in order, He came as a child in order to enable us to become children of God. And how He did it was this, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we've all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who's at the Father's side, has made him known. Extraordinary that Again, this is how we know God, not through inner contemplation, not through working things out in terms of our own reason, not through sitting down and saying, well, give me the evidence, but we know God through Jesus Christ. There are those who read a passage like this, like the scholar Bultmann, for example, who says that this is the language of mythology, this is the language of uh, Greek Gnosticism. Others say this is a language that um, shows that Jesus was God and He never really became human. On the one hand, there are people who, who want to teach Jesus was only a man. He's a really good man, but He was only a man. And on the other hand, there are people who want to teach, well, Jesus was never a man. He was God, but never a man. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that Jesus became flesh. Now, notice the language it's used. John didn't say the Word took on the form of humanity. It doesn't say that at all. It says the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And flesh is a word that's used in Greek for your body, for, for sarx. I mean, you're 
I, I don't know how you are today. Some of you are uh, very ill. Uh, some people have had this really, really dreadful cough and cold. Some of you, you feel maybe pains in your legs or pains in your chest. Some of you are getting older and you're all too aware that you are flesh and that it is weak flesh, that it's not going to go on forever, that it's decaying flesh. Many of you here are, work with that, your doctors or your dentists, and you're in jobs precisely because the flesh doesn't automatically renew and people get sick and so on. And what is being said here is something quite extraordinary. It, it is saying that God became subject to weariness, pain, misery, and death, ultimately. The divine Word becomes the human Jesus, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Now, you'll see that taught throughout the Scriptures. I'll just put some up for you. Since the children have flesh and blood, He too shared in their humanity, so that by His death He might destroy Him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. 1 John 4, 2, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Romans 1, 3, regarding his son who, as to his human nature, was a descendant of David. Or Philippians 2, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He became, it's interesting, and uh, forgive me for uh, trying to explain this, it's very difficult, but became means, doesn't mean that he stopped being God, but it means that it really was God in human flesh. Jesus, whom we worship, is both fully human and fully divine. And that baby, I mean, we've got uh, so many babies in this church, and they're wonderful. But even the, the most wonderful baby that we hold, you will never hold and say, this baby is divine. This baby is human, yes, but this baby is divine. But Mary, that's what she had, and that's why the shepherds came to worship and that's why the wise men came. And that's why the heavens split and the angels worshipped. It, it, is, it is something that, sadly, we trivialize. It's something that we, we turn into, I, I don't know, something ugly sometimes. But it's not. It is extraordinary. God made manifest in the flesh. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Hebrews 1 verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. John 10, 30. I and the Father are one. Or John 14, 9. Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Maybe you're different from me, but I can't conceptualize of God. I really can't. I find it so difficult to grasp and to understand and to try and understand just causes for me all kinds of problems. I know that God is there. I know that there is a creator. I know from what Scripture tells me, many aspects of His character. But how do I look upon God? That's impossible except 
for Jesus. When I look at Jesus, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. I was speaking at a mosque not so long ago, and the Muslims who were there were absolutely delighted that in contrast to the pagans, I spoke of the one God. I spoke of Him being Creator. I spoke of Him being Almighty. And they loved all of that. But when I spoke about Jesus, they found that so much more difficult. And one at the end said to me, if only Jesus was removed, we'd be the same. And I said, yeah, that, that's true. That is absolutely true. And that's why I'm not a Muslim. Because to the Muslim, God is unknowable. There are 99 names for God in Islam. Not one is love. To the Muslim, God is absolutely unknowable. The Christian makes this extraordinary claim that says, God is actually knowable. Why? Because he came in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the source of grace and truth, as our passage says. It's in the ministry of Jesus we see the grace of God, and we see the revelation of his truth. Now, let me just try and uh, apply this. And as, as I say, there's, there's, there's so much, and so much that's extraordinary in this. But for me, that's my hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's what I trust in, absolutely. That's why we sang at the beginning, light of the world. You came down into darkness. Indeed, he did. And we do, surely we live in a dark world and we need that light. So I want to just take some things that we learn from this. One is a, a, almost a simple aside, but nonetheless, that's important. If the Son of God became flesh, it means that our flesh is not sinful. What I mean by that is this. Our bodies are not inherently sinful. What's happened is that the human body has become sinful as the human spirit has because we've turned away from God. Our bodies have a true dignity. And uh, it was Singler who referred to this about, you know, why people tattoo their bodies so much, why that's become so much more in vogue about autonomy and control and so on. But another thing that disturbs me even more about the way that we treat the human body is our attitudes to sex, our attitudes to death, our attitudes to war, our attitudes to torture, and so on. That we live in a culture which on the one hand seems to glorify the body again like the ancient Greeks, but on the other hand demeans the human body. There's a reason that we treat dead bodies with respect because they are human. There's a reason that we should treat our own bodies with respect. Our bodies are not sinful. Jesus took human flesh. He didn't become another kind of animal. He didn't become a plant. You do not look at the plants. You do not look at the animals, and you don't go, oh, well, there's God in there. That's paganism. That's polytheism. That's Hinduism. That's not Christianity. Second thing is that Jesus is a perfect Savior. He really became man. He really remained God. He had the two natures and the one person. 
Now, this is why this matters and why we need to be very precise at this point. It is this undivided nature which, or this undivided person which so aptly qualifies Christ as our mediator. He can sympathize with us because he's a human being. Have you been tempted? Are you tempted? He is tempted. Are you weak? He has been weak. And he can deal with the Father for us because he is God. He can go to God on my behalf and on your behalf. And therefore, Jesus is the way to know God. No one has ever seen God, but we see God when we see Jesus. We see God through Jesus. Moses had a great revelation of God. We've been reading through the book of Exodus in our evening service, and we've come to those somewhat strange passages of of seeing God's back and the glory up on the mountain and so on. But that's nothing. That's a veil compared with seeing God through Jesus. The only begotten Son who lies upon the Father's breast, He has made Him known. Jesus is the way to know God. Now, I like a singer called Leonard Cohen, and in his latest album, he's got a song about the blues, and uh, it's got a, a, a verse in it which I think captures something really quite special. He says this, there is no God in heaven, and there is no hell below, so says the great professor of all there is to know. I wonder who he's referring to. But, he says, I've had the invitation that a sinner can't refuse, and it's almost like salvation. It's almost like the blues. And in that, what he's doing is the whole of the song, he's talking about things that happen. He's talking about death, and he's talking about rape, and he's saying, it's almost as though it's real. What he's really saying is, of course it's real. And at the end of the song, what he's saying there is, yeah, they say this, they say this, but I've got an invitation that a sinner can't refuse, and it's real. It's real. Jesus is the way to know God. And through Jesus, we see the glory of God. He made His dwelling amongst us. He tabernacled amongst us. And if you know your Old Testament, you know about the tabernacle in the wilderness where God's people would go and they would, they would experience to some degree the glory of God. It was always their aim. Ezekiel 43 verse 2. I've been thinking about this verse a lot. It talked about the land being filled with the glory of God. And here John says what the tabernacle was was just a picture. What the temple was was just a picture. What the baby is in the manger is the real thing. He is the glory of God. This flesh pitched its tent, if you like, for a while amongst us. John says, we beheld His glory. We saw His glory. We observed it. We saw the attributes of God shining through human nature. In 1 John, he says, that which we have seen, we declare to you. I think that's just an incredible thing, that it's through Jesus we see the glory of of God. And then finally this, it's through Jesus that we are filled. Verse 16 says, from the fullness of His grace, we've all received one blessing after another. Full of grace and truth. You know what the gospel is? 
It's the message of God sending his son. It's a message that's filled with grace for the guilty. There is nothing, absolutely nothing that you can receive that matches this. Last year, this year, I'm thinking into the next year already, there was that wonderful story of the uh, Polish man who had some cells taken out of one part of his body and knitted together and put in another part of his body, and for the first time ever, he walked. It's an extraordinary, it's just a wonderful testimony of, of what science is able to do, what human beings are, are able to do with all that creativity and knowledge that the Lord has granted to us. But there are many of us here, and we are more than crippled spiritually. We are broken people. We are bruised people. We are battered people. We are dead in sins and trespasses. We are hurt. We are wounded. And Jesus comes full of grace and truth. And He says, as we've been seeing in Corinthians, my grace is sufficient for you. And and you come and you say, well, Lord, how can you deal with this? Lord, how can you deal with this? Lord, how can you deal with this? Well, He came full of grace and truth. From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. And what I find interesting there is the idea is of the blessing coming, not all at once, but in a progression of gracious experiences. You know, at Christmas, you get these dreadful songs, uh, some, some brilliant, but, you know, the absolute, for me, ultimate, I, I wish it could be Christmas every day. To me, that sounds like purgatory. That just, you know, imagine Dundee City Center being like yesterday, every day. No thanks. And, and Christmas TV and everything. You know, do we have to have Downton Abbey every day, someone dying, or East Enders, someone being miserable? You know, that, that, I wish it could be. No, 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 no. We don't, that, we don't really want that. But the idea is, I guess, that people think we have this tremendous experience, and I wish we could have this tremendous experience every day. Here's the amazing thing for the Christian. God, yes, sometimes we are so filled with the Spirit of God that we are utterly and completely overwhelmed. But actually what happens all the time is God just graciously keeps giving us more. He keeps saying there's more. He keeps saying there's more. It's almost like every child's dream under the Christmas tree where you've got this stocking. Oh, here's another one, and here's another one. And I, I, I actually much prefer having this kind of, you know, pillowcase with lots of wee presents that you just keep getting more and you keep getting more rather than the one big thing that, uh, that you get. And I think that's the idea here. God is gracious to us. Some of you have this idea of the Christian life that you think that you're converted, and you have this wonderful experience, and then after that, you're just hanging on. It's downhill until you get to heaven, and you finally just make it, and then everything's wonderful in heaven. I think it's much better to look upon the Christian life as one where you come to know Jesus Christ, and every day, every month, every year, God graciously reveals more of Himself. Through Jesus, we are filled. God was pleased to have all this fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. It's extraordinary, isn't it? You have been given fullness in Christ. In Christ, all the fullness of God dwells, 
and you have been given Christ. You have the fullness of God. What do we do then? Let's honor Christ. Can we ever do too much to honor Him? In our lives, let's make sure that Christ is at the center of our lives, the center of our marriages. Please do not exalt your children in place of Christ, or your partner in place of Christ, or your job in place of Christ, or even your church in place of Christ. The light of the world lightens everything. C.S. Lewis is well-known phrase which just beautifully describes this. I believe in the sun not because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. The light of the world lightens everything. The life of the world enlivens everything. Light and life to all He brings, risen with healing in His wings. God's grace destroys legalism. God's truth wipes out lies. Jesus Christ reigns supreme. And therefore, the most important question you will ever be asked is simply, who's the baby in the manger, and what do you think of him? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your grace and your truth that comes to us in Jesus. Thank you for this extraordinary, unbelievable truth that you sent your Son to be born, and that He was born in almost 2,000 years ago in these circumstances of poverty, circumstances of killing, and that He came to this, earth, this world for us, that we might become your children, that we might know life, that we might know light. Grant, O Lord, that that would be true of every one of us here and of all whom we know, all whom we love, And may this Christmas, in this town, in this city, in this nation, in your world, may millions come to see and acknowledge Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. In your name we ask it. Amen. Let's sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And John, can you go and get the others through? And we're going to need these seats, so can I ask you guys to move? Megan as well, you need to move, I think. So for the kids are all going to sit at the front. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.